You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The appointment of U.S. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch has raised the specter of Roe v. Wade, the 1973 landmark decision that guaranteed women the right to legal abortions in America. Gorsuch is considered a conservative, and many pro-life advocates hope he would favor overturning abortion rights if a viable case came before the court. Meanwhile, a Republican-led Congress is working to end funding for Planned Parenthood unless it stops abortion services for women. Planned Parenthood has long argued that federal funds aren't used to pay for abortions. Its business model provides away a wide array of medical services for women. They include exams, mammograms, and contraception. Robert Sedler is a distinguished professor of law at Wayne State University who has argued cases before the Supreme Court. In a recent Detroit Free Press op-ed, Settler made the case that denying funds for Planned Parenthood would be illegal, and Congress cannot punish the organization for providing a service that is constitutionally protected. Settler recently spoke with Detroit Today producer Laura Weber Davis. Settler understands the subject of abortion rights well, as he represented a woman who wanted an abortion in 1970 in Kentucky. At that point in time, I filed a lawsuit for Kentucky ACLU, uh, like Roe v. Wade. Kentucky uh, law, like Michigan law at that time, prohibited abortions except to save the life of the woman. So we contended that that violated a woman's right to privacy, that she had a fundamental constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. It's fair to say that I bombed. The case was heard (laughs) before a three-judge court, and I lost all three of the judges. Hmm. I appealed it to the Supreme Court, where it sat with a number of other cases until the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade. After it decided Roe v. Wade, it reversed the negative judgment in our case. And ever since Roe v. Wade, and it's over 40 years ago, American women have had a fundamental constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. I think sometimes women's health groups, and I include parenthood, do not emphasize enough women's constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. Planned Parenthood, which is the largest provider of abortions, probably about a third of them, provides abortions, especially for lower-income women. I just want to emphasize that again and again, all women have a fundamental constitutional right to safe and legal abortion. They, and only they, can decide whether they're going to continue with the pregnancy. So the the converse argument that has come up, especially I think in the past couple of years, is this idea of personhood that a that a fetus is a person and therefore has a right to life as well. Um, how do you balance the that that legal argument that is trying to make its way up the ladder? as it were, uh, to the Supreme Court, that a fetus has uh, has uh, as many rights as, as the woman who is seeking the abortion and therefore has the right to live and make decisions for itself. That's nothing new. Yeah. That argument was raised at the time of Roe v. Wade. New York had passed a law in 1970 recognizing a woman's right to a safe and legal abortion. It was the first American state to do so. A law professor who was a bachelor, brought a lawsuit in New York 
claiming to be the guardian of all of the unborn children. And he said that the New York law allowing an abortion was unconstitutional because fetuses were people. The Supreme Court clearly rejected that. They said that the term person, as used in the 14th Amendment, only operates postnatally to refer to a live person. A fetus is a fetus. It is not a person. It grows inside a woman's body. It can grow only by being attached to her life support system. It is not a person. It is a part of something growing in a woman's body. That's the legal definition. People can believe whatever they want. The right. state does have an interest in protecting potential human life, but that interest doesn't become compelling until the fetus reaches the point of viability that varies with each woman, maybe 26, 28 uh, weeks, whatever it is. At that point, uh, the state can prohibit abortion except where necessary to protect the life or health of a woman. That's the only circumstance where a doctor would do an abortion that late in the pregnancy. So as a practical matter, women have a right to a safe and legal abortion. It may be noted that as we have become more acceptance of single motherhood, 40% of the babies are born to unmarried women. The rate of abortions has declined from about 1.2 million to about 700,000. The but, point is, it's right. a woman's choice. And do you think that that uh, part of the that drop in abortion rate and also increase in um, single motherhood has to do with just a sort of a, a tectonic shift in how we view parenthood in this country yeah. and that it's, it's completely possible for a woman to um, not get married and still raise a baby either with a partner or by herself and be a working mother? Well, you know, as you know, I was one of the lawyers in the marriage equality case. And right. Judge Friedman wanted a hearing. Our experts testified that children do do better having two parents instead of one, and it doesn't make any difference we're of the same sex or opposite sex. But your point is an interesting one, that women may make choices whether or not to get married. A lot of women are hesitant to get married, especially non-collegiate women, because non-collegiate men don't have that good job prospects. Right. And many women believe that they will be in better control of their own lives if they are not married. But that is her choice, and that is what freedom is all about, is the freedom to make choices. And when I said that the ban on funding Planned Parenthood is an unconstitutional bill of attainder, it is because it was done for the sole purpose of punishing Planned Parenthood for enabling women to exercise their fundamental constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. It is legislative punishment. There is no conceivable legitimate interest in denying funds for medical procedures that they perform for women. There are no federal funds that are used for abortion. So right. it's clearly an unconstitutional bill of attainder. It has no place 
in the American constitutional system. Well, and that's your argument about this defunding of Planned Parenthood, Correct. is that it is unconstitutional because mm-hmm. it is it, it, because of its negative ramifications that go mm-hmm. against things that have already been proven constitutional? Well, uh, no, a bill of attainder is punishment by the legislature. Mm-hmm. It goes back to 16th, 17th, 18th century England, uh, where the British Parliament would find that Lord X was guilty of treason. He would be executed. They would attain or confiscate his land. During the American Revolution, American states would pass laws, legislators would pass laws confiscating the land of British loyalists. That pernicious practice was so offensive to the framers that in the original Constitution, not the Bill of Rights, the original Constitution of 1787, it simply said, no bill of attainder shall be passed, either by the federal government or by the states. So authorizing the states to deny Title X funding for family planning, which Congress has just done, the 50-50 vote in the Senate with the vice president casting the deciding vote, is an unconstitutional bill of attainder. Hmm. The Obama administration issued a regulation saying that Title X grantees shall be chosen by their ability to provide contraceptive and family planning and women's health services. Nothing, no ban on funding because they perform abortion. Now, Congress repealed that regulation and would allow the states to deny funding to Planned Parenthood. A bill in the Republican health care bill provision would deny funding to Planned Parenthood for a year. The president has said, well, if they'll stop performing abortions, they can get their funding. Now, that's exactly what a bill of attainder is. (laughs) Punishment by Congress, by the legislature, and it's punishment for enabling women to exercise their fundamental constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. So, essentially, would Roe v. Wade have to be overturned to even get to that point? I mean, Actually, no. Okay. Uh, not that they're going to ever overturn Roe v. Wade. That's pure rhetoric. Supreme Court would never do it. Even if abortions were not legal... You could not punish a particular group. But again, we don't really get to that because abortions are fully legal. I cannot emphasize that point enough about women having a fundamental constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. So, Bob, let me ask you going forward about the potential legal path that this that your your argument that you that you spell out here um, is this something that is, A, in the works, or B, you see a clear path for someone to make a legal argument? So far, it hasn't happened. Um, all we have uh, on Title X funds is the bill of uh, passed by Congress repealing the Obama administration regulation so that states could deny Title X funds to Planned Parenthood. Now, A lawsuit may or may not be premature. I don't know what Planned Parenthood's uh, intentions are. I simply published the op-ed in the Detroit Free Press Mm -hmm. to show that these bans are unconstitutional 
bills of attainder. Whenever the matter comes up, this is a solid legal argument as to why these bans are unconstitutional. I don't think that a ban on Medicaid uh, funding to Planned Parenthood will make it in the final bill. Note that under the current Medicaid law, women have a right to choose their Medicaid provider. So the states cannot deny women the right to choose Planned Parenthood. Uh, The law that had been approved by the House would allow denial of funds to Planned Parenthood for a year. Robert Sedler is our guest right now. He's a distinguished professor of law at Wayne State University. Robert, you have worked, as you mentioned, on some really big cases. Not not so long ago, the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, sort of the larger package of um, cases that went before the Supreme Court. So is this something that you would be willing to work on in a legal capacity or or help a, a lawyer in the future work on? I certainly would, but I'm pretty old right now, and I've stopped litigating. I consult. The marriage equality case was brought by a former student of mine, Dana Neslin. I worked with them, helped them develop legal arguments, and of course, this is available to help any lawyer who wants to litigate this. I also wanted to ask you, because you know the Supreme Court pretty well, um, and, and know some of the justices as well. We've talked a lot now on the national stage about Gorsuch, uh, Justice Gorsuch sort of ensuring the balance of the court leaning conservative. And there are many people who are hopeful that that means that Roe v. Wade will come back before the court and be overturned. But you have said now in this conversation and to me before we started speaking that uh, that you don't think that that's ever going to happen, despite the conservative tilt. Correct. I did an op-ed on this in 2005, when Roberts and Alito were appointed to, were nominated, uh, and for the court and, and appointed. I said that the, it's true. The court rarely overrules its precedents. I mean, ever since 1973, American women have assumed that they have a constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. Can you imagine that all of a sudden the Supreme Court would say, we're going to overrule this decision? There's nothing, there's no change in the law. Indeed, just the last term, the court struck down a Texas law that put undue burdens on women's ability to have an abortion by restricting abortion clinics to have to equip like a surgical facility uh, and denying doctors uh, the ability to do abortions unless they had admitting privileges at local hospitals. So there's no basis whatsoever for overruling Roe v. Wade. It's not going to happen, despite the media hype and the political calls. Gorsuch is a conventional conservative. He's going to vote with Alito and Thomas Uh, straight down the line on conservative issues. But again, the president has the power to appoint, just as the Democrats changed the rules in the Senate to allow a simple majority to approve cabinet officials and lower court judges. The Republican majority has now changed the rule to allow a simple majority to approve conservative justices. Right. But we should remember... There are a few cases each term uh, 
at most, than maybe high-profile, ideologically-driven cases. Most of the cases coming before the Supreme Court are not constitutional cases. Maybe a third are. And most of them are not high-profile, ideologically-driven cases. It's very rare that the court will overrule uh, a prior precedent, and that's true of a high-profile one like Roe v. Wade. It seems to me that, you know, from my completely amateur standpoint, just enjoying following stories about the court, it seems to me like Chief Justice Roberts is somebody who is hesitant to um, side with something that would fundamentally, um, I don't know, what do I want to say? Uh, that, let me let me say what I've said, if oh, that please, helps. please, please. He is very much concerned about the court as an institution. Right. He does not want the court to be a subject of what I call conflicting political objectives. He would never vote, uh, my opinion, I could be wrong, I could never picture him supporting any effort to overrule Roe v. Wade. It may be noted that he supplied the necessary fifth vote to uphold the constitutionality of the... um, requirement in the Affordable Care Act that people take out insurance, although believing that it was not within Congress's power under the Commerce Clause to do it, he upheld the power under the taxing power. He also upheld uh, the law uh, as it involved subsidies to um, insurance companies uh, and and the like. So... um, we thought that we might get his vote in the marriage equality case. Well, we right. didn't. We right. didn't. But sometimes he will decide with, side with the liberals. Usually not. Right now, Kennedy is indeed the swing justice. Swing but I want to emphasize, I'm talking about a relatively few high-profile, ideologically-driven cases coming before the court. When the court, if, if and when... I keep saying if and when the court has to consider the constitutionality of the president's uh, immigration order. Uh, It's not going to break down on ideological grounds. It's going to be a view of whether this is a proper exercise of presidential power. Um, So the court is not as ideological and politicized as the media hype would indicate. Well, Robert Sedler, if uh, Planned Parenthood faces defunding, I hope that we get a phone call with you so that we can find out what potential legal routes they have. They have excellent lawyers. ACLU often assists them. You can be sure that any effort to deny funding to Planned Parenthood will be challenged and will be successful. Okay, that was Detroit Today producer Laura Weber Davis talking with Wayne State law professor Bob Sedler about Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood. All right, up next, we're going to hear what Right to Life of Michigan has to say about the future of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood. Stay with us on Detroit Today. (laughs) 
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for being here. We just heard from Wayne State Law Professor Bob Sedler about the future of Planned Parenthood and Roe v. Wade. Now we want to hear the other side. Uh, Ed Rivett is the Legislative Director for Right to Life of Michigan. He joins us now to talk about things from his point of view. Ed, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm going to have to apologize up front. Uh, we went long in our first segment today, so we have a compressed amount of time to talk to you. We will have you back. Yeah, though, yeah. I noted, so. I noted the equality there. He gets 20, and I'll get about <laughs> five know, and a half. I know. But it's, that's okay. That's okay. We're used to we're used to media bias, Steve. Yes, it's just, I know. Fortunately, you're in the press uh, side of it, right? But we will we will have you back for an extended <laughs> conversation about this. I promise. Uh, Ed, I, I want to give you a chance uh, in the time we have to to answer. Uh, the main point that Bob Seller was making there, which is that uh, it would be a bill of attainder for Congress to uh, strip funding from Planned Parenthood because of abortion services. How uh, how do you see that? Well, he couldn't be more wrong with a gigantic capital W in front of it. Uh, I mean, he stated at least three or four times that women have a fundamental constitutional right to an abortion. That is what Roe versus Wade says. What he then didn't follow up with is that women do not have a fundamental right to government funding for an abortion. In fact, that decision goes back to the 1970s, Harris versus McRae, when the court said, yes, women have a right to abortion. They do not have a right to a government-funded abortion. We don't pay for abortion with Medicaid. We had that debate in our state 29 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, We voted for it as a public and said, no, we're not going to pay for abortions with our tax dollars. So to suggest that Planned Parenthood would somehow be unconstitutionally uh, punished by Congress by denying them access to uh, certain government funds because they also provide abortions, it just, it doesn't fit. Mm. I mean, the last time I squared off with uh, Bob Sedler was 20 plus years ago during the (laughs) Kevorkian debate, Uh, and he made these... very elaborate, passionate arguments that assisted suicide was, in fact, uh, a constitutionally protected right. Now, when it went to the courts, he was only wrong nine to nothing on the U.S. Supreme Court and seven to nothing on the Michigan Supreme Court. So I'm just going to suggest that I would be willing to take, <laughs> You're, take You my like your point. odds there, right? I like my odds on this one quite a bit. It's just not a bill of attainder yeah. because this isn't about appropriations. Um, you've never seen uh, an appropriation bill subject to uh, a bill of attainder in the same fashion as everything else. Now, he mentions the North Carolina case, but that was not the fundamental reason that the funding issue was settled uh, regarding uh, abortion funding. The fact of the matter is is that the government has said there is no obligation to fund abortion in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Uh, Ed Rivett, I want to thank you for being here. We're going to get you back on this week uh, so that you and I can have a, a more robust conversation about Right to Life of Michigan, the work that you're doing, and your position on all of these things uh, about Planned Parenthood and, and Roe v. Wade. I think it's an important topic and it's an important time. And your side of it, of course, is just as important uh, as the side we heard from from Bob Settler. So I want to apologize again for the poor planning I have executed on the show today and uh, invite you back later this week. 
All right. Well, just reminding everybody <laughs> that Bob was wrong, and then we'll move on and, and uh, continue our, right. our we'll debates in, in very uh, in a right. variety of settings. Yeah. No. Thank you very much, and thank you for your for your patience. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, public service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.